Uh, it's great to be back. It's amazing the things you miss about being in your old church. Uh, just as I came up, Brent turned around to me, as he very often did, and said, Tim, we're leaving at quarter past twelve. Make sure what you say is short. I miss that. And the announcements. I love the announcements. It made me wonder, has there ever been the situation where absolutely everybody's got up to do an announcement? Or do you just kind of keep it to the ten? Uh, anyway, Fitzroy is full of people that we respect and love, and it does feel to us a little bit like coming home. And we've been really delighted over the last few months and over the last 18 months that we've been able to keep contact with many of you. And as Sandra alluded to, there's also a sense for us that we take a little bit of Fitzroy with us. Uh, I, as she said, we are uh, helping Kirkpatrick, our new church, to become a fair trade church. So for us, it's less about us leaving Fitzroy. It's more about us being missionaries on behalf of Fitzroy. That's the way I prefer to see it. So it's really nice to be here. This morning, I want to speak about hope. As you all will have known, Barack Obama has defined the last three months, and probably the last year, but certainly the last three months. And his slogan of hope has captured our mood for something better. And behind that slogan, in my understanding of, of his philosophy, is a belief that hope comes when we recognize that we're all connected as one people, that when we work together, we can make life better for all. So when the speech that made him, his Democratic Convention speech of 2004, he said, if there's a child on the south side of Chicago who can't read, that matters to me, even if it's not my child. If there's a senior citizen somewhere who can't pay for their prescription and having to choose between medicine and rent, that makes my life poor, even if it's not my grandparents. Hope is about us working together to make life better for all. And hope is obviously a key Christian theme. Paul in Corinthians talks about the three key Christian themes of being faith, hope, and love. So today, for the next 15 minutes, I promise, I want to tell a couple of stories which have really struck me. And I guess ask the question, how do we do that? How is it we bring hope? How do you deliver it? I want to look briefly at what Jesus did in a very simple way. And then I want to tell some stories about how uh, I've seen ways in which the church is bringing hope in its wider community. This is this picture, I think, which over the last year has struck me the most. It's very innocuous. But the woman in this photo are on the very edge of survival. This is a photo of women in Zimbabwe gathering grain off a road. As we all know, Zimbabwe is a country which is spiraling out of control, ineffective and corrupt governments, human rights abuses, failed harvests. Extraordinarily, 5 million people out of 13 million people in Zimbabwe need food aid at the moment. What's happening in this photo is the road that these women are on is a road that grain lorries go down, big, huge, massive, lumbering grain lorries, and they leave a minute stream or trail of grain as they go. What's happening here is these starving women and children are risking their lives to pick up minute 
quantities of grain. They're literally playing chicken with the trucks just to stay alive. Imagine running onto the M1 to pick up a few old cobbled potatoes. There's something in that that just resonates with my soul as being wrong. And not just are they facing malnutrition, but as we know, the infrastructure of the country is collapsing. Until last week, there was no government, there was no minister for local government, so no funding. So that meant that the sewage, the sewage systems in the country are beginning to break down. The picture you can see on the screen is a child crossing a storm drain, fine, but a storm drain which is polluted with overflowing sewage. The water system and the rubbish system almost have collapsed completely. And to date, what that has meant is that according to official statistics, which are seen to be low, 3,200 people have died from cholera and there's 65,000 infections. How do we bring hope in Zimbabwe? What does that look like? Or how do we bring hope to Belina and Berta? Belina on the, on the left with her three children. Both of them are mothers. Both of them live in Zimbabwe. Both of them are people who contribute very much to their family and society. This is a picture of a wall of the house that Belina built with her own hands. Pretty impressive. She also is a market trader, an active member of the local community, and in her future, hope to be a policewoman. But for her, and in fact for both of them, over the last couple of years, they've both been diagnosed as being HIV positive. And for both of them, that was absolutely devastating. Both lost a huge amount of weight. The picture of Belina that you can see here is that she's gone from 84 kilos to 34. 50 kilos of a drop. Skeletal. Bedbound and stigmatized. She used to go to church, but she became so ill and so stigmatized. She said, I became so desperate and discouraged by God, not answering my prayers. I thought that God had neglected me. And as we know, Berta and Belina are not alone. There are 33 million people in the world who are HIV positive. And in Zimbabwe, or sorry, in Mozambique, 7 out of 10 of those people who are HIV positive don't have access to basic medication. What does bringing hope look like to them? What does that mean? I guess the passage, that passage uh, that we've just read, that Roberta read so well, of Jesus and the blind man, I think for me there's two very simple things that Jesus did there. There's, firstly, and crucially, there's two important social barriers that he burst through. Obviously, the passage was hinting very strongly about Jesus bursting through the stigma of sin. That as you know, in New Testament times, society was obsessed with sin. Pharisees even thought that children in the womb could be sinful. And that is why the, the disciples asked, is, is this the man who sinned or is it his parents? But here Jesus showed that he, we should respond with love. 
And with the issue of HIV, this is particularly relevant to churches around the world and particularly in Africa, as many people think people who are HIV positive shouldn't be helped as they're sinful. And obviously that's particularly cruel for women who very often have been infected by unfaithful husbands. Extraordinarily, in a piece of research we discovered, the single biggest risk factor for a woman at the moment in Africa is to get married because of the problem of unfaithful husbands. Jesus shows us that we are called to reach out beyond the social stigma and transform transform lives. But Jesus also burst through another crucial barrier, one that I think is much more subtle but much more relevant in Western churches. There's a subtle barrier of hopelessness that I think he burst through. I can't do much. My little bit won't make a difference. It's not going to really matter. But yet, isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't take a moment to look at the demographic of blindness in Judea or Galilee? What he does, very simply, is he responds to the man in need. Each one was important. He rolls up his sleeves. He gets his hands dirty. I love that bit. And he transforms the man's life. So what does that mean? Well, for me, the churches in Zimbabwe are a case study in breaking through hopelessness. And I guess against the backdrop of a collapsing country, the church is literally getting its hands dirty, reaching out and transforming people's lives. And two examples have really stood out to me, which I have found amazing. One of our partners, a partner called Zoe, has seven staff. And over time, they have slowly built up relationships with church leaders. They've taken church leaders on retreats for a day or two days. They've uh, introduced them to theology about how uh, Jesus calls us to reach out and connect with people as whole people, physical, emotional, spiritual. They've shared ideas amongst church leaders about how they could do that. And slowly over a number of years, they've developed a network of 3,000 churches Many of them that are really poor, many of them filled with people who are the people who are starving. But 3,000 churches. And in each of those 3,000 churches, they've mobilized volunteers who go out into the community to reach out to children whose parents have died, particularly from AIDS, but not just. So those seven staff have mobilized 3,000 churches who in turn are supporting 70,000 children whose parents have died. I find that extraordinary. A story of the poor helping the destitute. And I guess if I'm really honest, in an economic environment in which I feel that it's very easy to feel that I don't have enough to give to others, I find it searingly challenging to see a church that is almost nothing reaching out to those that have absolutely nothing. So, one story that I found really impressive. The other story is a story of the churches in Bulawayo. 
In Bulawayo City Council, because there, is, there have been no Minister of Government, there's, no, there's been no money for investments. So the local churches have banded together and tried to work with the local council to find out how is it that we can do something about to provide clean water and sanitation. And so as we speak... They are working, the local churches together are working with Bulawayo City Council to clear the storm drains from sewage and to rehabilitate the whole sewage system, meaning that one million people will benefit from a clean and uh, reasonable sewage system. They are literally, there are people in the churches who are literally, literally getting their hands dirty. And alongside that, they've realised that around Bilawayo, Zimbabwe's second city, there are 20 boreholes, many of which have broken down. The pumps are broken, or people have stolen stuff, or the people have chucked um, stuff down it. And so from the end of February, the churches together, along with us, have, have been able to put in a, a, a bid, which they've got funding to rehabilitate each and every one of those boreholes. And not only that, but alongside, as part of the deal, the councils have given our partners land around the boreholes. So 400 people will be able to start small businesses just round clean water. They can start little vegetable allotments, meaning that there will be good quality vegetables and food for their own families, but also that they'll be able to sell good quality cheap food to the folk around them. It seems to me that the churches in Zimbabwe may not be solving the whole problem, but my words, they are bringing hope to tens of thousands of people. What does it mean for Berta and Belina? Their pastor saw what was going on. He saw how HIV and AIDS was devastating their community, was wiping out uh, people who were contributing to society. And what he did was very brave. He persuaded his church, like John 9, of the importance of reaching out, of the importance of addressing the stigma around AIDS. And so he set up, with again with our, our local partner, they set up a group of local volunteers to help people to access ARV medication. So Victoria, who's pictured here with Belina, took her to hospital regularly. She got, got access to some transport. She ensured that she had the right food because you know yourself if you're not well and if you're not eating very well and you take a disprin, it can upset your stomach. Uh, if you're taking ARV medications, which are eminently more powerful, if you're not on the right nutritional diet, it's not, it's not going to work very well for you. And they ensured, she ensured that Belina was able to get the right tablet at the right time. So she'd turn up on her doorstep on a Tuesday at 5 o'clock and just check to make sure. And they also, together, working together, the volunteers, the churches, were able to lobby the local government to get a clinic placed closer in the village. They reached out with love. Now, sadly, and I guess this is a story of hope against a backdrop of pain. Sadly, although Belina started her treatments, they simply didn't get to her fast enough. She died on August the 31st. But she died feeling that she was loved. She said, Victoria's love and care led Belina to say, I realized that God loved me when I received regular visits from Victoria. Victoria makes me feel at ease. 
She treats me like a sister. She prepares meals for me. She prays with me. And she fetches water for me. This is a blessing from God. She has helped me to find God again. In her last few months, Victoria was able to bring hope and some peace to Belina and also gave her the dignity of seeing her children cared for by, by good carers in the future. And although, although we didn't quite get to Belina in time, we did get to Berta in time. She, like Belina, was on her sickbed. She, like Belina, was skeletal, had lost all that weight. She nearly died. But they just managed to get her on the medication. And you can see her here in the picture, vibrant. You would barely know that she was sick. Her local volunteer, Lourdes, helped Belina, or helped Berta to access the medication, took her on, on the transport, ensured that she had the right food, ensured that she got her tablets. And today, she is alive and well. A mother to her children. But even more than that, she is someone who is vibrant with life and someone who is contributing to her society. You can see her here in the picture, raising awareness about HIV in her community and helping others not to contract the disease. She is someone who not only has survived, but is contributing well to society again. She is one of thousands of people that that local church and churches around their area in Mozambique have been able to save and being able to transform and bring hope. And I guess those two examples of churches in Mozambique and churches in Zimbabwe, although painful and difficult at times, are two examples of thousands of churches that we are working with around the world. And I guess right at the core of what Tearfun is about is a belief that the local church can play a major part in transforming communities. Yes, there are lots of problems. Yes, there are lots of churches that stigmatize people who are poor or who have contracted HIV. Yes, there are lots of churches that preach a spiritualized gospel, which doesn't help to transform people's lives. But the local church has two amazing advantages. It's local enough to engage people as individuals face-to-face. And it's large enough to have a significant impact on poverty. According to a piece of research we did last year, 250,000 churches, there are 250,000 churches in sub-Saharan Africa alone. They may not solve the problem, but there's an army out there, very often poor, but an army that can reach out to those that are even more poor. And over the next 10 years, what we want to do is to mobilize a network of 100,000 churches like that that can lift 50 million people out of spiritual and material poverty. For us, what we would like to do is to take the word church and the word hope and that they would mean the same thing. That the church has an opportunity to be salt and light. So what does that mean for us? How is it that we 
can bring hope. I guess, I, more than anything, I want to say thank you. Fitzroy has always been an amazingly supportive churches, church, a church which has prayed for our work and a church which is very generously supported. I was looking on our system yesterday, or on, on Friday, and saw that over the last five years alone, Fitzroy has given over £21,000 to Tear Fund, and I know that the church supports a whole range of other organisations. And to give you a sense of the impact that that makes, it costs about £40 for us to enable someone like Berta or Berlina to access medication. That pays for our partners to recruit and train volunteers and to pay expenses for travel. Put in those terms to give you a sense, Fitzroy support is the equivalent of having saved the lives of 500 people like Berta. That, to me, is an incredible amount of hope. And I guess it's my privilege on behalf of people like Berta and Belina to thank you because your support has helped to transform their lives. What does that mean going forward? Well, obviously, continuing to support us is crucial. We realise very much that there's a very challenging economic environment and your support, your continued support, is really valued. And I guess our particular concern is that, in the, econo that the economic situation as it is is going to hit the poor hardest of all if support reduces. But as you can see, a very small amount of support, £10 a month, would ensure that three people like Berta can have access to life-saving medication. A small amount can radiate a vast amount of hope. Another possibility is that we, we've got feedback from churches for years now saying that what churches would like to do would be to connect with a project somewhere around the world. So we've just launched a program called Connected Church, which enables churches to support one of 12 partners directly. One of those partners is the partner Kibbutz Arana, which helped Pastor Antonio start his program, which helped to reach out to Berta and Bolina. And all we ask the church to do is to pray and to give a minimum donation of £500. And there's an opportunity to be kept up to date with what the partner is doing over time. The chance to build a mutually beneficial relationship. A simple way to bring hope. And I thought I might just mention penultimately that as our passion is about local church, one of the things that we have seen is how churches reach out globally. There's so much that we can learn locally. And it's interesting that, as, as you may know, the Presbyterian Church are about to launch, are about to invite all churches, all Presbyterian churches, to develop a mission plan about how they are going to reach out in 2010, and we've been working closely with them. And we have a couple of ideas, or we have a couple of programs which I thought you may be interested in. We've just launched the Just People course, which is a six-week alpha-style course, which looks at the issues of compassion and justice and how churches can transform their societies locally and globally. As well as teaching and discussion, it is six case studies, including a case study of how Balmahinch Baptist has reached out into its community. And there also is a program called Discovery, which is a six-month program helping churches to audit their community. What are the needs? What are the gaps? What are we doing already? And how can we engage in a more effective way? 
And finally, every time I talk to our partners, they always say, a little bit like what Christine was saying, please pray for us. And so in 2007, we launched a global poverty prayer week where we invited people around the world, churches and individuals around the world, to pray for us and for the church. And this year, in the run-up to our next Global Poverty Prayer Week at the end of February, we're inviting churches and individuals to connect with God and to connect with Christians worldwide to pray for the church as it reaches out and transforms the lives of people like Berta and Belina and those folk in Zimbabwe. And so I thought we would finish by inviting you to take a moment to do that now. We're going to play a short DVD which shows the global church praying. There's everybody from Lynn Hybels, the American mega church leader, all the way through to one of our Ethiopian partners. And perhaps as you watch this DVD, there'll be the opportunity for you to pray about how the church can bring hope and about how as you go back into your own life, you can radiate some of that in your world. Thank you.